into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. It is Illinois week, which around here is known as Sweater Vest Week. Brian? When did I promise that? What was the reasoning? We did a bet. I don't remember what the bet was about. Oh. It was sometime in the Like some World Cup bet or something? or Oh, it was about Tiger. Yeah, that's right. It was about him finishing top 10 in a major. Was it the U.S. or the British? I don't know. It was the one where he... He was out of contention like day one. Pretty so it much. should have been the U.S. then, because yeah. the British. I mean, he was. Yeah, I should have. He'd have been. I he'd have finished top ten. Chosen a little bit. It wouldn't have been all the way Masters week, would it have been? No, it might have been. It was Masters. Wow, look at that, Tiger Woods paying off. Sweater vest now. I've got it ready. Uh, you guys have to remind me Friday night, and I will lay it out on my. <laughs> I'll have like a little outfit all placed out. I like it. Slacks ironed. Oh uh, yeah, I mean we we will we will certainly remind you. We've been reminded from people who've been excited on Twitter about this week for the last couple weeks. Actually, I mean, I'd kind of forgotten about it until we uh, got a tweet this morning that it was sweater vest week, and my my day perked right up. Yeah, our our <laughs> podcast listeners are some of the best. I mean they they don't let things go. They're they're aware whether it's the hype cast bold predictions and Michael Brunts and and. BC correctly predicting Lamar Jackson interception. Yes. Sometimes they'll also give like rap lyrics that should be used if like yeah. bringing the written. Someone the last week did like a Wu Tang Clan that they would like us to use at some point when we, if we get to that in the off season or bored. Yeah, I well, I mean, it, it's on you as to when you want to do it. You know that you have a standing offer from Brunts and I to to give your spoken rap lyrics anytime. I, I th- will listen. I think we save it till 2019, and then I just go. I really put my head down, kind of get in the studio, come up with some good stuff. Maybe use December to think about what yeah. you can bust out in 2019. I think that's what people. we're going to do. Meantime, go to Kohl's and do some shopping. More sweater vests. Yeah. That's an exciting month ahead for me. Yeah. So sweater vest week. It's also an 11 a.m. kick on a 30-degree day on Saturday, which means chili and cinnamon rolls in the press box. And Michael Brunts would like to give a PSA about the combination of chili and cinnamon rolls. I, I just think they're kind of overrated is all. What? Wait. If you would like to send your hate mail, he has moved, but we can get the new address yeah. up online. Tweet at me. Tell me I'm wrong. I did, I, it's just kind of, it's fine. It's, it's, I understand the combination. I went to school in Nebraska growing up, so I had it. But I, did, I don't, to quote you, I don't know why people lose their crap over it. <laughs> I don't. What did I sign up for with you guys? This guy's going to do this to chili and cinnamon rolls. You had that hot take about the 95 team not being able to hold Miami's jock or something. In that is not what I said. <laughs> not remotely what I said. But it was a hot take. And I, I even after saying it, I instantly regretted it. Sorry for bringing it up again. No, but, you're fine. That's I mean, Mike Schaefer. It's, it's, <laughs> it's out there. But let's but not lose Now we got sight. this guy. Yeah. Let's not lose sight of who's saying some crazy stuff right now. Make the case for chili and cinnamon rolls. Well, I mean, individually, they're both pretty good. Is it is it better than chili and cornbread? I don't know if I've done chili and cornbread. I rarely have cornbread. It's like something I get when I have barbecue, and it's usually pretty rare even at that. Did Unless you, it's just added on to the meal because I'm too cheap. Did you just guys have chili and cinnamon rolls at home growing up? No. Either did I. We, it was a we it did. was a school lunch thing. Yeah, um, we would have chili all the time, but my mom wasn't making cinnamon rolls with it. I mean, we would do chili and like chicken noodle soup. 
is what we would do for the people who didn't want the chili in the Schaefer household. You were a Millard Public Schools kid your whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, because I don't think, I don't know, some people in the OPS system, I think, acted like we had it, and I don't ever remember it. Mm-hmm. So I was never as familiar with it. But when I found it and later in life, I was like, well, that's a brilliant combination. See, well, like, Millard had it. My my mom used to make it growing up, and, I mean, I it's fine. It's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm like, just saying Mom. I don't well, understand. calling it overrated. I don't understand the over-the-top, like. It's the, the combination of the taste. Well, it's the, fine. The spicy chili with the savory cinnamon roll. Wouldn't you say that's something Nebraskans do a lot, though? We like Hype to. Hype things up. Well, if it's an, if we think it's. a it's o- orange. If we do we, have a hype cast. Or you can salad listen to dressing late in the week. The same way. Oh boy, man! <laughs> wow, he just took on Aunt Dorothy. Yeah, I mean, the patron saint of the state, arguably the most popular person. Got Guarantee you, election day was on Tuesday. I bet you, Dorothy Lynch was written in for at least some positions across the state. Again, it's fine. I'm sure that everybody in the state of Nebraska has a half-empty bottle of Dorothy Lynch in the back of their refrigerator right this second. It's, I actually have none right it's now. It's been sitting there for 18 months probably. I bet it's been there if you look hard. <laughs> no, it's not there. And it's Bill Moosey's is a lot more than the last 18 yeah. months. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's fine. We, we don't need to, we don't need so to pretend things, like it's... Things that Brunts doesn't particularly care for, chili and cinnamon rolls. No, no, no. Dorothy Lynch. I, I care for them. I don't care for them to the level that everybody else cares about them, which is way too much. You want to say something about Run's Onion Rings right now? You want to say something about Run's Onion Rings? Say it. I, I do enjoy those <laughs> a lot. Okay. Well, that's good at least. Anyways. Yeah, no more no more thoughts on... I, d- I didn't mean to go completely heel turn here. But... Well, you're obviously a fan of them. Do you dunk the... The, the cinnamon roll and the chili as you eat it? Do you combine no. the two of no, them? No, I, I take, a separate... bite, take a bite, then a spoon, then a bite, spoon. <laughs> that's, that's how I go. I like it just as it's, much as I like this big it's spud. It's spud day today, too, my, by the way. Yeah. Potato I'm eating. Uh, there is a, a certain place here in Lincoln that sells potatoes by the pound in, in BC. I'm a fan. At least once a month has himself a big spot. Watching him eat that thing, it was like watching a team of guys dig a ditch. Like just in there with shovels, just digging around. They have to get a wide base and leverage too. Otherwise they're gonna lose the shovel and might fall in. He had his his feet up on the counter trying to get some leverage going into that thing. At least he asked though. I thought that was the polite. Part. That was that was true. It's like, hey, I know it's your dinner table. You mind if I put my foot here yeah. so I get a little little leverage? <laughs> a little push here. I thought the little uh, light that he had on top of his head was, Why are you wearing a hard hat? was a bit much. You know, like he's in a mining community over here, just excavating. The abuse I take. A little canary over here, just in case. <laughs> canary. <laughs> Still singing. Sorry. All right, well, we'll, Football. we'll move on. We've, we've wasted enough time with food takes and... Yeah. Things Brunts hates about the state of Nebraska and why he moved for several years. <laughs> Dorothy Lynch couldn't follow you in China, could it? <laughs> Didn't have to eat any cinnamon or chili. <laughs> did, the Dorothy Lynch didn't make it in the bag, no. Uh, all right. Nebraska, Illinois. <laughs> Actually, let's before we get to Nebraska, Illinois, let's talk about the Nebraska-Ohio State game. That was a, uh, it was fun. That was a fun game. And, and one of the things Greg Austin spoke about this week that I thought was kind of interesting and I want to bring up he said that it was 
a lot of fun for him. Probably the most fun he's had this year in terms of a game because Ohio State made it a chess match. Nebraska came out in that first possession and did everything they wanted to, and then Ohio State immediately started switching the looks that they were doing up front, which made it harder for his offensive linemen, and they started doing things they had never put on film. And so each possession, he had to get his guys together. You're looking at the aerial sheets, and he's having a coach on the fly, and he said he absolutely loves situations like that because then it becomes which coaching staff can better predict what the next staff or what the staff across from them is trying to do, and how do you get your guys ready each possession for them doing something that maybe you didn't spend all week working on. Fascinating conversation. That is interesting. I think it also explains, I mean, if with that being the case, Nebraska's play callers, offensive coaches had themselves a day because even when Nebraska stalled, like in the third quarter, it was because of Nebraska. I mean, it was like Raftall dropping a pass. They're, they're most, you know, the fumbled snap, the ball going yep. through Spielman's fingertips. You know, it was all on them and not really what Ohio State was doing that was overwhelming Nebraska. And I think that's why people, some people would say, well, you're following this 2-7 and seven team and there seems to be all this optimism. Isn't it like kind of blind loyalty? You're following this team just, you know, like, oh, they're going to be good for no reason. But I do think a lot of people are watching that offense, and Scott Frost is proving here what he did at UCF. He's he's a really good play caller, and at some point that's going to lead to a whole lot of wins. Yeah, and and going back to that, that Greg Austin thing, I think even if you look at the second and third drive of the game is where it hit Nebraska that they were doing different stuff on defense because they, they tried to run a couple times with Maurice Washington – and holes that they were expecting to be there, stunts were being done that they, they weren't anticipating, and guys were closing those down. So then Austin said they had to make a switch real early in that game as to how they were going to go block things. And it just, one, that you know that should make you feel good as a fan, that you have coaches that are pretty cerebral about that. I mean, I, I don't think we have to explain a whole lot. There's been times in the past where Nebraska – would continue to work against the game plan that they thought they were going to get, even if it wasn't what was happening on the field. And then secondly, you know, I wasn't there at Ohio State, but just watching it back here in Nebraska on TV, it really felt like for the first time since Urban Meyer's been at Ohio State, Nebraska had a coach who could go toe-to-toe with him in a game in terms of, you know, making adjustments, create, having looks, having things for them to do. I mean, the the utterly brilliant – play to Austin Allen that was set up as a, a you know basically a fake screen pass that they snuck him out on and Ozigbo sold it in the way that he deserves an Emmy or an Oscar whatever we want to give him for by throwing his hand up there a and Tony, shaking maybe. it <laughs> Tony he can get them all yeah whatever he wants stage screen big screen gets mm-hmm. them all it's uh you know I I feel like the first time that Nebraska has a definitive coaching advantage in a lot of games, and, and they're not at a big disadvantage in, against some of these bigger-name programs now. And it really showed that way to me. I mean, I thought they gave Ohio State everything they could handle, and they just came up a little bit short. Yeah, I, and there were pieces, too, that they had kind of put in there, too, that I, I think they – can do something with it. I mean, JoJo Doman was fantastic in that game. And I, I think Nebraska realized pretty quickly that that was the type of game where you need a player like Doman to be in there who can cover the slot rather than having, you know, an outside linebacker, inside linebacker trying to cover a, a quick slot receiver. 
um, you know, we, we saw, going back to your point about the offensive line, I mean, that group has played great the last four games. Um, and and I, I think the guys that you have coming back with that group and, and the fact that they were able to adjust on the fly and that they are communicating better and those tackles are growing up, that's a, that's a real reason for optimism going into next year. Um, and, and I agree that the, the coaching part of it is one reason why I think you do have to be excited about why this program is going to get turned around because, you know, that the types of – there's always – it seems like there's like three or four plays, offensive plays every week that Scott Frost and his group puts together where you just kind of have to appreciate a little bit of the, the creativity, yeah. the genius, and, and the kind of the patience too of, of when to call some of these plays because they, they, they're calling them at the right time. And, and they're getting big payoff. I mean, I, I it was a loss for Nebraska. They they had chances to win that game, but that that was pro, that was just a fun game to, to watch. Uh, just you know, as a college football, you know, watcher. I mean, it, it was uh, as yeah. an English speaker, as a speaker, <laughs> talker. Um, as a man who writes words, <laughs> it, it, but it was just. It, it was one of those games where you're kind of waiting for the bottom to fall out, and you kind of thought that it might have been whenever Nebraska flubbed the onside kick. But to their credit, they fought back a number of times in that game and probably should have won Think it. Think about all the stuff that they did in that game. I mean, they got a fourth down stop early. They gave up a blocked punt, and then, you know, Ohio State roars back, and Nebraska didn't wilt. You had Adrian Martinez with – what Mario Verduzco hopes is the worst play of his career and nothing similar to it will ever occur again in that just beyond baffling throw to J.D. Spielman. He had Spielman drop a catch that, you know, 10 times out of 10 he's going to make, and I'm still not entirely sure what happened. Some people think it was a son. I thought he just short-armed it. He misjudged the depth of the ball. Uh, it was a perfect pass. I mean, and they just kept coming back. Lamar Jackson had an interception early in the third quarter. They forced a fumble. Um, JoJo Doman forced a fumble. I mean, they played well. They stuck in that game. I mean, there was multiple reasons for them to disappear. They were down by double digits late, and they came back, and they immediately got that touchdown uh, and, and pulled it within what the final score ended up being. They couldn't get the ball back. They couldn't get the stop. But, I mean, they, they did enough. All, to be honest, every phase, but maybe the special teams did enough for them to win the game. They just couldn't do it congruently and, and consistently. But I, I was beyond impressed by the performance. Now they have to make that hold up. You come out this weekend against Illinois flat and you you don't put up points and you lose. It doesn't matter that you were close to Ohio State. Or you go beat Illinois and then you don't do the same sort of tenacity and, and things against Michigan State and Iowa, then that result against Ohio State looks like an outlier more than anything else. And that wasn't the best Ohio State team by any stretch of the imagination. But they're still good. There's still a chance they run the table, and they're 11-1 and representing the Big Ten uh, East in the the conference championship game. So the, there's a lot, I think, to, to like if you're a fan from that game. Well, the thing I like about it, too, is, yes, Ohio State might have thought, well, that this isn't a great team but I think the Buckeyes came into that game ready to play like it wasn't like this was just a sleepy Ohio State team um they had a lot to prove they I mean when you're in that town you could feel it there's there's like some pressure 
on them, and you could feel it in the stadium as Nebraska mounted that second quarter rally where the crowd was turning on them a little bit. And so they had a lot on the line, and, and they were putting it out there. And then you, you get in the postgame room, and the Ohio State you know, lineman says, Nebraska played their nuts off, was his quote. And you contrast that with what we heard from Michigan, where guys were calling out Nebraska for not wanting to be there, basically. And that's Scott Frost said this Monday, and I'd agree with him, the proudest achievement of this team is that they are actually having fun playing football with a record that they have. And I don't think that's fake talk. I don't think that's like us trying to sell people on it. I really believe that they're like kind of enjoying playing football. And I think a big part of it is because of these game plans they're getting and it's an aggressive style, which, you know, you, you just want to be a part of, I think. Well, I mean, even from our own vantage point of covering the team as long as any of us have, they're legitimately more interesting than teams that have had six or seven wins more at this point than, you know, I mean, they're, they're a fascinating team to cover. And they're young. I mean, that's kind of what, you know, you that let helps. your mind think about it. It makes them a lot more fun to just look at what could be going forward. They have to get to that point. Yeah, well, this said, the next three weeks, that's what makes the next three weeks fun is you better take care of business this Saturday, like you said, or you give away this whole month of goodwill that you've earned. And then after that, you need a bigger pelt on your wall than Minnesota. Like right now, Minnesota's the best thing you got up there. And you need... You see not a gopher guy. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, Illinois has that pelt does, on their wall, Do Spartans have pelts? I don't know. I just assume Minnesota's just like, armor. A, like an oar up there on the wall. <laughs> Like a broken oar. Yeah. <laughs> With some seat, some <laughs> lily pads on it. Yeah. From the lake. Some moss. From Lake Minnetonka. Yeah, they need they need to get a... Keep going. They need to get one over Michigan State or Iowa or both. Otherwise, I think there'll be some disappointment. I think that the ending run, I don't know what you guys would say. I think they got to get two out of three. And the third one, if they don't get it, has to be a a knockdown drag out that they lose right. in a close game. And I think if that happens, people will be like, all right, let's go into 2019. I'm, I'm with you entirely. And I look at both Iowa and Michigan state and they're going to present problems for Nebraska, but there there's areas where Nebraska is going to be able to attack them too. And, uh, you know, we'll obviously get more in depth on each of those games when they come up on the schedule, but there's nothing there. I mean, there's nobody left that they can't beat. There's nobody left, I mean, really, that they they should be losing significantly to either. I mean, so I, I think they've really kind of turned a corner as a, as a program a little bit. Well, I asked it on our board and on social media. I mean, the, the schedule builds into making a run now. Like, if you really have your act together like they say they do and think they do, you can win – some of these games and then you know next year's september schedule is very doable two of the next seven games are against illinois that nebraska plays football so if, if you think you're handling your business you, those should be two wins and it'll be interesting how many of those seven um they can win before they play ohio state at the end of september i i did a poll and i think it was like 73 percent who responded said they expect nebraska to win at least six of the next seven so that's that's where this fan base's mind is right so now. So they start next year, South Alabama, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Northern Illinois, Alabama. Illinois, and then uh, Ohio State. Then Ohio State. Yep. So you you have those 
first four before Ohio State and these next three of Illinois, Michigan State, and Iowa. Yep. Yeah, I mean five and two and six and one seem very, very possible. I mean seven and zero oh, if you really want to dream big. But Northern Illinois is looming. They're not going to be scared. <laughs> They're always looming. We should start hyping that up there's now. A, there's yeah. a guy waiting to sit on a bubble screen right now. <laughs> Couldn't be more excited to. <laughs> so what what are we looking at this weekend as Nebraska plays Illinois? I mean, I know that this isn't going to be uh, probably the best defensive played football game in the history of Memorial Stadium. It's not going to be. 2009 Oklahoma Nebraska 10 to 7 four interceptions from Matt O'Hanlon that's probably not going to happen no no it's not you're you're going to rule it out immediately yeah I think it's safe all right fair well what what do you expect to see out of Nebraska's offense then on Saturday points yards pain <laughs> for them <laughs> someone's going to get hurt for for Illinois oh okay I don't put I don't put stuff like that out there yeah it's probably good that's probably good. It'd be unfortunate if someone did on a podcast. <laughs> Are we expecting sixty-five, fifty-one type stuff? No, no, no. You don't think it's gonna be sixty-five, fifty-one? I'm out on sixty-five, fifty. You're betting the overs, though. Yeah, but that's sixty-five alone is almost the over. Right. The the over for those who have problems with gambling is uh, sixty-seven and a half for Saturday as it stands right now, and. The spread, I think, started at 19, but is now down to 17 and a half. Yes. So. Hasn't Vegas been pretty good on Nebraska this year? Haven't they kind of been on them, like, close to the actual outcomes? They've been around for the most part. I mean, obviously they weren't close on Saturday with the, with the Ohio they State game. Like they weren't particularly so, close but... with the Troy game either. And then... But for the most part, I mean, when they expect Nebraska to lose big, they have mm-hmm. uh, with Wisconsin and Michigan. But, you know, Northwestern was a nine-point spread, I think, at one point, and Nebraska should have won that game by 14 points. So, right. Well, that's – Northwestern is part of this great optimism I think Husker fans have. It's it's funny. You're covering a 2-7 and seven team, and then you're watching the West Division go – and you're watching Northwestern, who, unless they just trip and you know, fall and they, choke they on Min- their Minnesota, gum. Illinois, and who? who who's the last? Uh, Iowa? They play Iowa this week, but they could lose to Iowa and still beat Illinois and somebody else who's not great. Um, Minnesota. Yeah, and they win the division. And, you know, that's a team where we're sitting there three weeks ago and – Nebraska's up by 10 points on them, you know, with four and a half minutes left. So it's a college football is a weird deal. Now, I always get a chuckle when people say, well, this is like, you're like, will Nebraska or so and so do this in five years? And sometimes that's, yeah, like, who knows? Maybe if you don't have the right staff, it could take 20 years if, you know, you don't have the right people in place. But people who ask that don't pay attention to college football because it cha- you see cha- teams make big jumps from year to year sometimes. Like Michigan State, a few years back, remember they went through a 4-8 and eight year and then they bust right back a year after they made the college football playoff. Then they win 10 games after the four-win season, and it, it can change dramatically. And I, I think this year has shown that the West Division 
over the next three years, four years, should be as open as it's ever been. Because you sense that Wisconsin's got some leaks to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got some issues for sure. I uh, I mean, Nebraska's as well positioned to, to make a run in that division as anybody is. It's It's wide open. I mean, I don't know if there's any team that Iowa, you don't anticipate consistently can win the nine to ten games that you sort of need. And I mean, I just I could see it where you have a different Big Ten West winner almost every year. Purdue, we don't know what's going to happen with Brom. Uh, so there's just wide open. The only thing I think you can rule out is Illinois making any sort of run. I think we can rule that one out with with what they've got right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, they have a program where you you expect them to be better than they actually are, and yet they're just not. They haven't been for a while. Hiring somebody like Lovey Smith isn't going to get that done either. Nobody's botched this season really more than Iowa. I mean, if you're talking about a team that right now is should be saying what if, it's Iowa. They could be undefeated right now. Mm. They could, they should at least They're lucky to be in that Penn State game. But, you know, I mean, you're right. They they have close losses to Wisconsin and Purdue. They certainly could be in the driver's seat for this division, and they're not. And it feels like a season maybe got away from them a little bit. And that's just kind of the Big Ten West in general. It's just bunched up teams and missed opportunities. I mean, you, you could make a strong argument if you wanted to that if Nebraska had handled this season a little bit different, they're in right there in the discussion yep. for playing in Indy, which is crazy to me because they're 2-7. and seven. But that's just kind of how – jumbled the Big Ten West really is. But Indeed. Well, uh, you guys want to you wanna talk some recruiting? I do. Anything happened in the last week? Well, immediately after the podcast, all of the momentum stopped from last week. I, I don't know if you noticed that or not. Uh, I heard something about that. Javen Wright committed early that morning. Momentum, the train was on the tracks, everything looked great, and then someone threw the uh, the brake on it, and it came to a screeching halt at about 9 p.m. on Wednesday night. Huh. And uh, it didn't continue on, on Thursday either, unless the, the train was in Kentucky. But, yeah, <laughs> Nebraska missed on Wondell Robinson. You know, we can get into the theories if we want. We don't have to. I don't really think that there's any reason to. Uh, none of us sitting here at the table know exactly what happened. Nobody that claims to know exactly what happened will know other than the people directly involved. And Nebraska missed out on a on a kid that they were pretty excited about, but not someone that is entirely, you know, unreplaceable. And they'll see if they can find another offensive athlete to take that spot in the class. Uh, we put out there in the VIP room this week, they're actually looking to probably get as close to 30 as possible, which is different than where they were early in the year. They're looking at more mid-20s, upper mid-20s, and now it's, you know, as many kids as they can get and hopefully having, you know, 26, 27 guys uh, ready to go in December and then another handful in January. So we'll we'll see where they're at, but not expected to have any official visitors on Saturday. So quiet weekend in Lincoln in terms of official visitors. There is going to be quite a few unofficials as walk-on candidates. They're, they're trying to bring in 15 to 20 top walk-on guys for them. They want a walk-on class similar to last year where they had, I think, 20 people. So they, they are 
constantly trying to push those numbers up and keep the talent that they can and see what happens with it. So it's it's an interesting time in Nebraska recruiting because they're coming off a great stretch where they got those commitments. There's a little bit of a uh, an annoyance with the Wandale Robinson thing, but I think that they're going to have a couple more commits by the end of the month, and then certainly in December they're going to have a run, you know, as they have those last visit weekends before signing period. So we're we're getting to the crux of things here. And I had a, an article early this week about defensive backs. I think still think they're going to take five. Marquise Bell could be a guy you see commit pretty quickly if he makes his Michigan State visit. He's a junior college player at Coffeyville Community College. That's someone they really like. They want to bring in another safety that has a little bit of uh, experience behind him. Because if you think about it, that position really thins out. Doman goes to linebacker. Your other three seniors graduate, and you got Deontay Williams there. So you, you've got some young guys in C.J. Smith and Cameron Jones. You have Markell, who hasn't really done much this year. You don't know what his long-term future at Nebraska looks like. So they, they've got to find some, some help at the safety spot, too. So there's a lot going on in the recruiting area, and, uh, you know, we can jump into the weeds on any of it if there's something you guys really want to discuss. Well, you had a good article because you got to talk to some of the guys in the recruiting department. I don't, you don't want to give everything away. Some of it's VIP stuff, but um, with the guys who are running the recruiting department for Nebraska, and we were in there. And what what would you say is kind of your a takeaway you you got from that experience? Like a general when you walk away after you talk to those guys about where things are headed. Well, I mean, I, I feel pretty confident that we the best is yet to come in terms of what they're going to be able to do in recruiting, in part because they've been playing so far behind in 2019. They don't feel like they have the the offers out as quickly as they should have. They don't feel like their evaluations were maybe as detailed as they needed them to be before some of the offers went out. And so I, I think they look at 2020 as a chance to really kind of, you know, have solid ground on everything they want to do. And you know, we're saying that with the fact that they had a top 25 class in a two-month stretch when they first got here, and they have a top 25 class right now, even though they're two and seven, and they felt like they were playing behind for the whole 2019 class. So that tells me they feel very confident in what they're going to do in 2020. I'm not going to predict a top 10 class, but, you know, I don't even know if top 15 is, is unreasonable if they're able to do what they want to do and the talent that's in the Midwest. So, if you want to kick the ball forward, 2020 could be a real banner year for Nebraska recruiting with the way that maybe they finish out how things look here in the regular season. They continue to stay in on some of these regional guys that they have a good shot with, and they're able to build that database. I mean, my jaw almost dropped when he said they want to evaluate 1,600 recruits yeah. for a single cycle. 1,600. That is just amazing. And then the... In the same motion, he's talking about before they met with us, he had watched 20 guys from Iowa. 2020 class, the top 20 guys over in Iowa, or 20 of the guys over in Iowa for that class, they had just watched today, and you get the sense that it wasn't even the first time he had watched a film on those guys. That's a, yeah, that tells you how detailed it is, because obviously some of those guys, I'm sure they kind of discard, and like, yeah, they're right. not interested, but yet you're going to all those lengths to see if there's somebody over there. Uh, that's for you. And the other thing they talked about was with, with Frost's staff and Wendale Robinson, even though they didn't get him as a good example of this, you know, the way they play offense, you don't have to be a certain measurement 
to necessarily fit into it. As shown with like Adrian Killens at UCF or somebody like that, you can get a 5'7", 170-pound guy if he's got, you know, lightning speed and he's elusive and all that. He'll fit here, and other schools might not look at that guy the same way. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I mean, I was impressed we got a chance to talk with Sean Dillon and Ryan Callahan and Trent Mossbrooker, and I was impressed by all of them. I mean, it's obvious that these guys have worked together. And the other thing that, that stands out to me, when you bring a whole staff the way that, that Frost essentially did, one of the things that becomes easy is you know exactly what you're recruiting for. You, you know what it is that Barrett Rude wants at linebacker, that Ryan Held wants at running back, that Sean Becton wants at tight end. And so when you're doing these initial evaluations and you're putting together your sheet of the critical factors that are being hit, and then you're putting together the list of the 20 guys that Sean Becton has to watch because they're the first line. The second line is Sean Becton. The third line is the sort of the combination of those evaluations and you talk through it with Frost and the coordinators or the area coach. I mean, it just – we got a, a pretty good window into the process that they use. And, mm-hmm. you know, everyone makes jokes about these 400 offers or whatever that gets put out. Well, that's a fourth of the kids <laughs> that they're right. even eva- – like, you're not going to, you know, diamonds in the rough and under the radar and whatever we want to call it. Like, that's why a Matthew Anderson ends up in Nebraska's class. And that's someone that, you know, seems like they might be pretty excited about. Even if nobody else has come around to the fact that this is going to be a six foot seven, two hundred and eighty pound kid that moves really, really well, just sitting there in Louisiana, an area they don't generally recruit, they went out and got him because they had the resources, they figured out who he was, they did the evaluations. I mean, look, you you have to be, and, and obviously we have a little bit more understanding and, and the opportunity to talk with these guys, but I, I feel like you have to feel pretty good about the process that's going behind how they're going to go about recruiting. Yeah. And you you wrote a story a few weeks ago about the recruits, how they have a group text, you know, where there there's kind of this chemistry that they develop through that. And I, I get the sense that's such a big deal to these guys, the the guys in the Husker offices, because they, they want those kids who, yeah, you've got great film, that's nice, but you got to have something more to it. They're looking for a certain identity of that person and how they can relate to others and be in a locker room and stuff like that. And so stuff like that's got to please them that you've got that going. Yeah, I mean, when you can you can basically get guys holding each other accountable before they're ever ending up on campus, you're going to weed out some of the concerns. I mean, that's the thing that we talk about, you know, what a kid's measurables are, what his film looks like. At the end of the day, you're only getting snapshots of this kid. You don't know what he's like off the field. I mean, you talk to the parents. You can do all that research. But when you have these group chats and you have social media, I mean, there's a lot of information that is out there that's going to tell you about somebody that you might be able to determine whether there's red flags or whether this is a this sort of character kid that you can build around. And at worst, is going to be a great locker room leader for you. And, I, I mean, they really want to know that information, too. I mean, these guys on all fronts seem to really have a strong idea as to what they're going about and doing. And I think, I mean, I don't know if they're at the forefront of any sort of thing in terms of recruiting, but they certainly seem like they're going to be out further ahead than some other operations we've had the the experience of being around at times. It, it, it's interesting. I, 
I thought about this, you know, as, as Nebraska kind of had their run of transfers during the season and, and before that and over the summer. I, I think in a place like Nebraska, you really have to have a better idea of kind of what makes those guys tick than at other places because you're, you're recruiting nationally. You're getting guys from Florida, California, Texas, wherever. Um, and, and it feels like a lot of times that, you know, when, when things get tough for guys, if they have an injury, they get passed over on the depth chart, you know, girlfriend breaks up and whatever, there's more incentive for those guys to either pack up and go home, kind of fall through the cracks a little bit in Nebraska because, I mean, they're not from Nebraska. They have no connection there. They're, they're you know, not – it wouldn't be the same as if a kid from Texas is at TCU or something like that. It's just a different situation. And I think if you can kind of figure those things out, like they were saying uh, – during the recruiting process, you can get a sense of, okay, if this kid, you know, doesn't start as a freshman, is he going to bail bail or, or pout and go home or become an issue in the locker room? I, I just think those things at a place like Nebraska where you have to recruit a little bit differently than a lot of other places, you have to know those things for not only depth chart reasons, for roster management, for just, you know, making sure that your locker room is pulling in the right way. Because, I mean, you've seen this year what happens, you know, when, when a few guys leave that might not have been pulling in the same direction as everybody else. I mean, it, it makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I definitely – I mean, I think that – look, they – and this is something that people that are VIP members can look forward to here by the end of the week. They have a plan as to – before these kids even get on campus, determining what the key factors are in the kids' value system for what it is that he wants to get out of his college education and his time at Nebraska. And that's going to help them. So when he's on campus, they know, you know, how they want to show him the tours or what they want to emphasize or what it is that they need to get him around. Or if he needs to spend extra time with Zach Duvall, they can do that. If he needs to, you know, spend time with Dave Ellis and Dave Ellis is going to show him, you know, what the, the meal plan is going to look like for a kid to go from 210 pounds to 245 pounds. And you combine that with the strength and condition. Look, I mean, Nebraska has a wealth of resources. They've had these resources a long time. Like this isn't the first staff that's had resources, but they're doing a really good job in identifying what it is that kids individually want and not assuming it's a one size fits all, which I think is really important because then it's just not, not taking a kid on this tour that he doesn't need to see the college of business when he has no interest in it or, you know, the other various things that, that pop up on this. I think they do a good job of maximizing time. Uh, I think that's a big value in what they're, they're trying to accomplish when people are on campus. So this story that I'm going to have coming here this week is really about why this staff has had success with getting commitments of guys in season when we haven't really seen that in previous years, even when Nebraska has been undefeated late into October, they weren't getting those commitments. So what it is about what they're doing here. And they, they kind of outline how they feel like it's going and why it worked for them at UCF and why it's working now at Nebraska. They're also not acting like you can't recruit here. Like I think too often happened with Bo, you know, at the top, you were getting that from, like, in press conferences. Like, well, these are the limitations. And yeah. I don't think Riley staff did that as much, in fairness to them. I, th- no. I don't think they ever were really played that card. Uh, but this, this staff definitely doesn't either, where it, it's just like 
they why wouldn't I be able to sell this place to kids? Look at what we've got if we can just get them here. Um, they believe in it. I think everybody in the staff, you get the sense they really, they, it's a, it's not like a fake sales pitch where you're trying to sell something, something you, you can't really totally get behind. It's, it's something they feel too. So I think it makes it easier for them. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I, I think again, I mean, they're at 20 commitments right now. I would be surprised if they don't have 22 or 23 by the time we flip to December 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have a big visit weekend for Michigan State. We're talking Lloyd Summerall, Marquise Bell's supposed to be out there, Ty Robinson's supposed to be out there. You're going to have some of your commits and Garrett Nelson and Ronald Tompkins are going to be there as well. Mo Side Newsom is going to be there. I mean, it's a, they've got a big opportunity coming up with this Michigan State game that they're going to try to put you know, uh, another stamp on, on getting some guys and They've got some people that have already been out here for visits that might be making decisions too, too. and so we'll see how that plays out for them. But I, I think that you know it looks really good recruiting wise. We'll you know we got to see what it looks like in December. We got to see who stays, if they have any defections, if there's anybody that you know gets a new offer or something. But really, the conversations I've had, I mean, those commits seem pretty locked in, and the way that Nebraska could finish this season is only going to really reinforce that. Yes. There you go. I, I like it's. It is going to be fascinating to see how they close the, in in this class. Well, I mean, I mean, you just look at what they did in two months, right? And now you're giving them runway before those two months. Well, I, I think especially too, if you if you finish the year strong, I mean, if you go two and one, you three and zero, oh, whatever. I, I think, and this, and especially too, if the defense plays well these last three games, because you know they're going to be able to get offensive players like that. That's not an issue, but there's playing time to be had on defense at some positions early on. They're going to have to hit on some guys there. And I, I think if you, you have guys flying around and, and playing the way that they have the last few weeks, I mean, that, that's a good selling point for JUCO guys coming in looking for a spot right away and, and you know, talented defensive players too. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have left, but I want to throw this question at you because I'm very curious what either of your answers would be. Which is the most important game Nebraska has left of their final three? Like, which one do you think would be the bigger win? Uh, assuming, like, let's just say that they beat Illinois. They're favored. Let's say they win that game. Their final two games, you have your last home game against Michigan State, which could be a big visit weekend, could have a lot of people on it. Or that trip to Iowa, three straight losses to the Hawkeyes, first time that Scott Frost enters the Lions Den that is Kennick Stadium. Well, not the first time, but you get the point. Which of those games is bigger to you in a season that Nebraska's not going to a bowl game? I mean, we haven't talked about that, but there's there's going to be no halo for them, no lifeboat. No, no foster farms. Nothing. There's no bowl game. Their last game of the year is against Iowa, regardless of what happens. I, I think from a local perspective, I think the Iowa game matters more. Really? I think from a national perspective and in terms of just what Nebraska can actually get tangibly out of the game, I think the Michigan State game is a much bigger one. Um, I'd say Iowa, just because they're they're in the division. Um, I feel like... I feel like if Nebraska could cross, get over that hurdle this year, that kind of takes that out of the way. You know, it's kind of like you got to check 
mark things on your list, like think, okay, this is how you restore this thing. And one of the first things is, well, stop letting Iowa kick you around. And so that's why I'd say Iowa. I would also say Iowa, and for the dumbest possible reason. For it being like the last game of the year, you get like a little extra boost that they, they win it. That You finish the year on a win. You finish the year on a conference win. You finish the year on a win against a team in your division. Hero, hero trophy. You get the hero's trophy. I mean, yeah. if you can't recruit with that sitting in your trophy case, then I don't really know what it is that you're trying to do around here. But in all honesty, I, I do think that just that little buzz, you know, they you win that game and then your coaches are going out on the road. I don't think you're going to be emphasizing the Iowa game by any means. But I just think for the guys coming back, like let's say they go into to Kinnick and they win that game by like double-digit points, that's going to feel good. And honestly, I really think they're going to treat it like it's a bowl game. I do. I think they're going to treat it like it's a – you know, a big opportunity for them to finish the year. I could be completely wrong on that. I see a bemused look on Brunson's face. He thinks it's a dumb. I was just thinking. Point. I was just thinking I'd rather cover a bowl game at Kinnick Stadium than I would in New York City. But that's just me. That's <laughs> <laughs> the same. Well, you're not going to New York yeah. City. That's true. So figure out what you're going to do around Christmas for two weeks because you're going nowhere. That's true. Which I mean, you did it last year. You could survive. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I can see that point. I, I just think that in terms of creating that conversation, that Michigan State win matters more. I get the checking the box thing. I like to think that Scott Frost is going to pack up that hero's trophy in a big suitcase and just take it around the country with him and recruits homes in December after they win it. I, I kind of have this image of him sitting on one of their private planes flying from spot to spot with the hero's trophy buckled in and the seat next yeah. to him <laughs> and then having to explain to recruits in florida what high v is he's like he takes a photo before they they fly out and it's just him with the hero's trophy get a hashtag with it yeah heroes stick together this is kind of a long hashtag it is <laughs> We'll work on it. Uh, I, mean, I, tried, I tried. I tried. That was my first effort. Well, is there anything else you want to get into this? What feels like a pretty long podcast? Hoops. Set, oh, yeah. Breaking records last Jesus. night. Was that a real game? It had uniforms and everything. <laughs> BC, were you at that game? No, I wasn't. I was watching election coverage. It was, I mean, <laughs> it was stunning to sit there. And just watch as Nebraska went from like fifteen to two, twenty-seven to four. All of a sudden, it's forty-eight to like ten. It was a twenty-three to four run at one point. Yeah. Oh man, Jerry Rice was... isn't walking through that door. No, and it was they shot nine percent from the field in the first half. Yeah, yeah that staff percent. made me chuckle. You tweeted that out, and I, I just got a, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't get in my car and go down there. But yeah. think of like how much bad basketball you've watched in Nebraska history, and like sometimes a game like that is kind of enjoyable. It's like, oh, this is what when everything goes your way, this yeah. is what it looks like. There, there was consensus among us who have covered basketball for a little while, that that was probably the worst opponent that I think Nebraska has played. Really? Going back to, like, even Team Pella Windows back in the 90s had more talent than those guys. I don't know. Look, I don't think they're any good, but... In the PBA era, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's fair. I was trying to think. There was a team they played um, out of Pennsylvania, St. Francis. St. Francis. They just demolished them. They Nebraska under Danny Knee had... 
a pretty good reputation and a well-earned reputation for playing some real clunkers in December. And last night was rough, real rough. But I honestly don't think some of it was Nebraska just played really well. No, I mean they they made fifteen three pointers. Right. Um, well, Nana's going to be the dude off the bench just chucking threes now. Yeah, and that's gonna okay. Be Ray Gallegos. That's okay. Look, he okay. he shot what fourteen, eighteen shots in fourteen minutes. I think was the final number, something like yeah. that. He's a chucker. Yeah. What time's the game Sunday? Three p.m. I believe. Okay. You All can right. fit it in between that big Vikings Bears tilt. No, that's next week. Next week. To oh, buy next week. To buy. Yeah. I'm wide open. Oh, jeez. Look at you guys. Yeah. What are you going to do with all that time? Well, so much time for activities. Watch them Husker Look, hoops. There's no, there's no official visits, so I don't have to, to call anybody on Sunday. I mean, I look. I might, I might sneak some Red Dead Redemption in because I haven't played it a whole lot. There's, there's gonna. You said there's gonna be 25 walk-on candidates on campus. There's a lot of oh, guys yeah, to you're call. A walk-on guy. <laughs> I'm gonna be idea. watching hoops. South, southeastern Louisiana's in town. The Lions. All right, hmm. Well, I'll be the walk-on guy this weekend. I can be the walk-on guy. Okay. It's all right. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, they look good. Hoops. Almost a uh, 69-point margin. Almost bested the creek. When's the Seton Hall game? Uh, a couple weeks. Ago. That's when it gets fun. Yeah. And Seton Hall's a young team, though. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it. To me, Nebraska needs to beat Seton Hall. They do. It's not like... There's no, you know, hang around and it's a close game. Both teams are good. No, they need to beat Seton Hall. This is a Seton Hall team. With, they lost all their best players from last year's NCAA tournament. Is, is Clemson the toughest game in Nebraska's non-conference schedule? Yes or no, go. Clemson? No. How much do they have back from last They're year? They're ranked. Still no. They were, they're pretty good. They were a sweet 16 team. I watched them play that Creighton's game. their toughest game. Still? Yeah. Hundred percent. Until Tim Miles has that goose egg turn into a one, that Creighton game might as well be they're playing the '95 Chicago Bulls. I, I just, I mean, they got Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's okay; they can score. But you got to go on the road to Clemson. You can make a point either way. I get what Schaefer's saying. I mean, that's. And I then, know around here, if you gave people the option of Nebraska beats Creighton or Nebraska beats Clemson, loses sure. to Creighton. That's a different conversation. Though. Right, but I, but I think that even mentally, like, there's just that block, even for these dudes on this team. They haven't beat them yet. Uh, you know, for somebody like Glenn Watson, is he going to finish his career 0-4 against Creighton? It'd be very on brand for Nebraska basketball. Well, it'd be, you know, what, six straight years of nobody winning? It's more than six. When's the last time they beat them? Uh, it was the, it was still over at the Devaney, wasn't it? None of this matters, but I think that the Creighton <laughs> game is more important. It, it, and that game's kind of interesting too, because you've got the little back and forth hurt feelings thing that's been taking place the last couple of weeks yeah, some, about the NCAA stuff. Some people really don't want to accept responsibility for their names coming up and open court testimony. It seems like to me, Ooh, <laughs> that's one opinion. <laughs> Just an opinion. Just an opinion. That's fine. <laughs> BC doesn't know how to respond. I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to wade into those waters right now. I will say though, even though they were playing a joke team last night, it kind of fit the like the excitement of this season. It's kind of nice that like their first game, they throw out like this record-breaking, you know, score to just put it on paper. 
I mean, even though we all know that team, there's intramural teams probably over there that could hang with those guys. But do you think there are, by the way? I was, okay, so I was surprised. Games? I was surprised at the number of shots that hit the backboard last night and didn't hit rim. <laughs> like I was, I was watching it. I was like, I. I, I know that shot. That's Did someone me. take a shot from the corner where it hits the side of the backboard? No, there was <laughs> there was a couple where it like it was from like the the kind of like the the wing, and it did that thing where it went over the rim and hit off the backboard on the other side of the rim. You ever take that shot from the corner where you you hit it just right where it hits the very top corner of the backboard and actually goes in from a weird angle? I'm not that skilled. The, well, Jason, the Jason DeRusso it's, shot. It's not yeah. skilled. Like it's it's like the most embarrassing made shot a person could ever make because it's like you miss that so badly and everybody knows it, but it went in. Number twenty-two, Clemson Tigers, right now. By the way, coached so by coached right. by uh, what was that guy's name? Watched him up close in Omaha. It doesn't Brad matter. Brad Brownell. Yep, Brad Brownell. Ninth season. Yeah, he's been around. He was uh, on the hot seat before last year. Anyways. Yeah, when you're getting a Brad Brownell talk. Yeah, that's enough Clemson basketball talk. Let's, they're giving us the hook. <laughs> We're done? I think so. We covered ground. All right. Well, uh, you know where you can always get ground covered? Where? At Husker 24-7. You can get recruiting. You can get football. You can get hoops talk. You can get Brunt sticking up for Creighton. You can get all sorts of things. I just made that up. Brunson never stuck up for free. But you can get everything over there. we got a vibrant message board community that wants to talk about everything all the time. So if there's something you want to discuss, Nebraska-related or even not, chances are you can find it over there. If you need fashion tips for your favorite sweater or sweater vest, BC will be able to help you out, too. Yeah. It's sweater vest week. So if you don't know what you want to wear to Saturday's game with a high of 37 degrees... We would suggest a sweater vest. No shirt on underneath the sweater vest, by the way. <laughs> I didn't know that was part of the deal. No, I think that's just huge with hairy chest. Yeah. I think that's... Okay. Yeah. That's not the look they're going for. It's the look they inherited. <laughs> and we promise you on the website, no dudes with, you know, hairy chest photos. We, we, can, we can guarantee those won't appear in our photo galleries either. But as always, you can get everything else at Husker 24-7.